0: Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. My name is RD. I'm one of the pastors here at Door Creek Church and I want to welcome you to uh, the gathering of the church, uh, especially if you are a visitor or you are new. Uh, if you are not a Christian or um, not really sure what you believe I- anywhere on the spiritual spectrum, then we're really glad that uh, you are here. And especially if you're new or checking things out or coming back to church, uh, I know that that can be just scary and weird and it feels like everyone else knows what's going on but you. (laughs) And it's like when, you know, the the times when I start working out again and then it doesn't really last, but (laughs) I start. And uh, you know, you go to work out and everyone else knows what's going on. You can tell the people, like they are the people over there with the weights and then the runners and everyone, no one's really talking but everyone just knows where everything is. And I'm over there like, should I even do the bench press? This is gonna be the most embarrassing thing ever with my little arms. And so I just end (laughs) up just walking around and I just leave. And sometimes church can be like that, <laughs> where everyone just kind of knows what's going on and you just kind of like, what's that? It's a big church. and So anyway, I just want to let you know that we really don't know what's going on really here and we're all just kind of trying to find our way through and that's why we have Jesus to help us. And so everyone here, whether they would admit it or not, me included, is just lost and tired and in need of grace. And that's really all that we have to give out week after week after week is, is God's grace to you. And so if you're new, visiting, not sure, um, it's okay. It gets, it gets better the more that you um, come and learn and discover what's going on. And you, you come in a good series. And also if you're regularly here, then also welcome to you as well. Thanks for coming back again and again. Um, we're in a series called Simplify. And we're right in the middle, I think we're right in the middle, like halfway through. And we've been talking about uh, how to simplify our life and how in Jesus there is life and there's fullness and there's peace and there's flourishing. And that if we're in Jesus, everything that we're doing through the power of Jesus will be affected. So that if Jesus is a center of our life, then whatever we're talking about, whether it's finances or parenting or relationships or time or possessions, all of those things will be affected because we're connected to Jesus. So to be connected to him is the, the power for us to simplify. By to find flourishing and wholeness in all kinds of areas of our life. And this weekend, we're talking about relationships. So get excited. Um, <laughs> this is not going to be the six steps to find the perfect person. That's not what this talk is. Uh, so if you're looking for that talk... This is not it. This is not it. Uh, We're going to be talking not so much about romantic relationships, though uh, those are necessary and and can be helpful. Obviously, we're connected to those. We'll mention those, but this is really about friendships, about uh, family relationships, about work relationships, about kind of all the other relationships in our lives and how we can have relationships which are uh, healthy and which are filled with joy and, and which don't just, like, destroy us or really hurt us and wound us the way that relationships can. And so the message has three points. If you like three-point messages, then I have three points for you. Uh, The first point is the messiness of relationships. Why are they they messy? Uh, The second point is practices for simplifying relationships. How can we actually cultivate healthy habits in relationships? And the final point is the power to do that. How can we actually be people that apply the things that we're going to be talking about and have it sustained beyond a 40-minute message? so that our lives actually look different and we're not just inspired and nothing, nothing changes, which often, you know, can happen. Uh, so the messiness of relationships, the practices, how we can simplify them, and the power to actually do that. So numero uno, the messiness of relationships. We are made, all of us are made for relationships because everyone in here, whatever you believe about God or don't believe, uh, all of us in here, the Bible says, are made in the image of God. And God is relational. It's what we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So God himself is relational. And so beginning of, before even time time itself, God existed. And he existed as God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so if a relational God created humans in his image, then he created humans to be in relationships both with God but also horizontally with people. And so we are wired to be in relationship with people. We're made to be known by people and to know other people. And that all sounds well and good until we actually start to sometimes get to know people. And then things start to get really sticky. And things get really awkward. And because relationships are both very life-giving, but also (laughs) life-sucking. Relationships are both glorious and wonderful and beautiful, but they're also messy and hard and difficult and painful. Why? Because relationships are made up of people. And relationships are messy because people are messy. And people are messy because our hearts are messy. And the Bible says that our hearts are messy because our hearts are actually in conflict. And our hearts are at war between our flesh, what we want, our own self, our desires to make our ego in charge for us to wear the crown, and then what God wants, what God wills for us, which is so much better. But we fight against it, right? We're in this battle. This is what Paul's going to be talking about in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible on your phone, which... If you have the internet, then you do. Then you can turn there as well, Galatians chapter 5. It'll also be on the screen if you'd like to look at it there. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Paul here is going to be talking about this battle between our flesh and the spirit. And this is where the messiness of our relationships begin. Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, so the Christians here uh, at the church, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict, at war, at battle with each other, so you are not to do whatever you you want. <clears throat> and so here we see Paul laying out this idea that, that even if we're a Christian, even if we've uh, turned away from our sin and our brokenness and trusted in Christ, that we, we still have this residue of wanting to do what we want to do. That, that in repentance, we turn away from our sin and towards God, but all of our life is spent still turning because we never fully turn, because we're still not fully home yet. And so there's still things which affect us, which we don't want them to do. That's why Paul later talks about, I don't always do the things that I want to do. I, I, I don't want to live like this, but sometimes I still do. And the spirit is at war with our flesh. And in relationships, we feel this more than anything else, because these are the people that are around us the most. And so they feel the weight of this conflict. Because how, how many of us have... Um, just the ability to speak truth and love to everyone that we know. Some of us love speaking truth and we drop the love part. And some of us are just so fearful that we just, we care and we're just too so gentle that we can never speak truth. How many of us have perfect boundaries with everyone in our life? Right? How many of us naturally handle conflict extremely well, right? Yeah. No, no. we just, we struggle with these things. None of us are naturally good at relationships because our hearts are in conflict, because our ego gets inflated and things oftentimes become about us and us trying to make everything about us. And our relationships just do not thrive when everything becomes about us. And Paul says, this happens when your flesh just begins to grow. And he says that you've been called to be free. You've been made to be free But true freedom is found in serving Christ and in serving each other. That's where real freedom is found. And so sin is not just behaving badly. Sin is our desires in conflict. It's desiring wrongly. It's the battle between the flesh, ourselves, and the spirit. And this is a battle in all of our life. So relational struggles, um, just words that we could think of, the hard parts of relationships, uh, difficulties, there's conflict, there's mistrust, there's betrayal, there's lying, there's defensiveness. So we have everyone in this room has people in their lives that they may be struggling with either right now or in the past or will happen in the future. So there may be tension right now between you and a parent. And that that can just be really difficult because they're in your family. And so family uh, drama, family tension is some of the hardest because you don't necessarily get to pick your family. And that can make it really hard. How do we engage? How do we do? We can't really just kind of leave them because we're in the family. But there are these massive issues that you may be having with a parent or you may be having with a child who's gone prodigal. And you just don't, what do I even do? I'm not even sure where to go with it. And so there's just this this tension that's now growing in that relationship. There could be tension between siblings, between how we should take care of mom and dad, or how you should live your life. And so then there's tension there, and that gets awkward. There's tension in in relationships. So there are people uh, who may say, I I was in close relationships when I was in college, in my young adult days, but then I got betrayed by someone early on, and I'm just not stepping foot into just that, that friendship level ever again. It's just better not to really be known, and then I don't really have to get hurt at all, right? I am a rock, I am an island, and it's better not to be near anyone else. Simon and Garfunkel there for you, so <laughs> keeping things light, right? But if you actually listen to the lyrics of that song, what, is he, what are they talking about? They're talking about, I, I just, I've been hurt by the world, and I just want to retreat, right? I just, I just want to retreat, and oftentimes many of us feel like that because uh, many people in our lives have hurt us, and so it's just not worth it. It's too messy. It's just, it's too hard. Um, and, you know, and so, so some of us don't have any of those relationships, and so many of us are just spread so thin. We have thousands of friends, not really, but you, you know what I mean, like, there's just so many people that we say yes to, or that we feel like we have to be in relationship with, and so all of our relationships are just shallow, and they're skin deep, and we want to talk about more things, but we're just too busy to do it. There's no time to get into these, these conversations or the people that know us because we're so busy with our lives, with doing all of these things. And all of these relational struggles or issues, whatever it is the situation, I just want to be careful here because I know that all of us, when we talk about relationships and the hard parts, we can be thinking of people and it can be difficult and hard. And what I don't want to do is just say, here are the two steps and you will be, you will be fixed because that's not true and that's not actually helpful. It'll just make things worse. But I do think that there is something we can do. Instead of just resign ourselves to say, it's messy. It's just going to be hard because we're in conflict. So just figure it out. (laughs) Let's pray, right? That wouldn't be helpful either. And so what might the Lord have for us to simplify our relationships? And when, when I say simplify relationships, what I don't mean is just necessarily eliminate relationships from your life. Like when I think of the word simplify, I just sometimes naturally think eliminate. Anyone else just think like cut, cut, just get get rid of it. And that's not necessarily what we mean in this series, because you could say is he, this is the best sermon ever, because he is telling me I can just get rid of seven people in my <laughs> life, right? <laughs> All right? Do not kill anyone in your life. This is not what the pastor is, is saying, right? Because The problem is when you just say, and, and no, listen, there may be people that you do need to just cut of your life. If you're in a toxic relationship, if you're in an emotionally or physically abusive relationship, then that is not something you tolerate or deal with or just work through, right? So that, that just stands to its side and say, that is not the, what I'm talking about here. That's a whole other message. I'm talking about the relationships that um, you're in, but they're just difficult. And the easiest thing to do is just to chuck it. But you you can't do that with everyone because the problem is if I just say, hey, just cut these people out of your life, then you're actually never learning how to have healthy relationships. You're just kind of getting rid of people and then getting new people, but nothing's ever changed. It's like the guy that that dates, you know, multiple different girls and just thinks she's always the problem. And it's like, (laughs) dude, you've dated like seven different people and you think it's them, right? You think, is that what you're telling yourself? And it's like, I just got to find the right one. It's like, oh no, 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 it's not just them, right? It's also you, it's also you. And so these practices for simplifying relationships are not about just eliminating, it's not about just how relationships can go from being messy to being perfect, because that's a false dichotomy. It's about how relationships can, are gonna remain messy, but how we can press into the mess, how we can live into the mess, and see even redemption come out of it, or beauty come out of it, or how we can be faithful in our relationships, even when they're hard, how we can have flourishing and health in our relationships even when they're messy and difficult. And the practices that I just wanna pick out for us I think help us get down that road, not perfectly, but help us more than hurt us in all kinds of relationships in our life. And that's the second point, practices for simplifying relationships. And I just picked out three, three things. They don't cover everything because we don't have time for all of that. We've got 40 minutes, and there's so many things we could do, but I just picked out three that I thought would be the most helpful. They obviously come from the scripture. But before I do that, so I know I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, two things before we get into the practices. Like I said, um, I, the first thing is this people are not simple, they're complex. Some of you may say they're complicated. People are not simple, they're complex. And that's the problem with so much relational advice is it assumes that people are simple. And if you do, do X, then Y will happen. That people are like vending machines. And if you press the right button, then they will just do whatever you want them to do, right? <laughs> and it sounds easy, it sounds simple. It's why a lot of books sell like that, but it's actually not helpful in real life. Because people are not simple, they're complex. And, and you can find people at different times of the week and they'll almost be totally different people. Right, you could talk to me at 10 a.m., um, when I'm working on a sermon in the zone, feeling good, the spirit is full, and it's different when I'm at home at 6 p.m. and everything is just crazy at my house, right? Do not call me then. I am not going to talk well to you, right? Same RD, two different people, okay? I am complex. But my wife would say, I don't know how complex you are, but I am. I am somewhat complex. And so you can't just say, if you just listen, then it's a guarantee this person will do X, Y, or Z. It's too simple. Now, on the whole, is listening going to be helpful? Yes, (laughs) right? Is cleaning up around the house going to be more helpful than not? Yes, but when we just kind of move things down to such a base level and just say, here are the six things you can do to make this the best relationship ever, we just minimize people in the complexity of their emotions and their past and everything. We can't do that. It's easy to do that, but we can't, we have to treat people as complex. And so anytime we throw out quick solutions, it's usually not helpful. It's usually not helpful. People are complex and not simple. And relationships, we all know it deep down. We have to keep reminding ourselves. And secondly, people are not projects to be fixed. They're people to be loved. Man, I sometimes wish, I'll just confess, I sometimes wish that people were projects. It would just be so much easier to just say, just do this and you're gonna be fixed, right? Just add this thing on, cut this thing away, let's improve this thing, voila, you're now done, never to be moved again. But people are not projects, they're people to be loved. And if we are in the fix-it business, then we're really not being the people of Jesus because Jesus is all about just being present with people and letting him take care of the fixing, Instead of us being the people that have to fix it. Because here's what what happens when we feel like, oh, look what I did to help this person. Really, it was the Lord. But secondly, what if they then dip down again? Well, then you feel crushed because all of your work, all of your effort to fix them, it just felt like it failed. Well, it didn't fail. But you thought it did because it was actually all about you feeling good about yourself. And someone else then, right, they're getting into a better place. But it was all really about you. Now, we can't be like that. We have to look at people and say, what if I just loved you? What if I was just present in your life? I want you to get better. We want people to be healed, but that cannot be the goal because when someone then gets fixed or changed, then maybe sometimes we're done with them and we can move on to the next person. But relationships are for the long game, right? They're for for all time. And if we, we reduce people to projects, we won't love them as Christ is calling us to love them. We'll just try and fix them and it won't be good. Um, third thing here. And then, then, I promise we'll get to the, the points. Um, this, this message is not about how you can have a hundred perfect friends and how you can have the perfect life on social media and just have, you know, like the pictures, everyone's laughing around the campfire and everyone's just amazing. And it's like, I would love a life like that. That would be awesome. Right? That's that, that can happen in a moment, but that's not every single day. And sometimes relational advice can just want to get you to this perfect place, and that place doesn't exist. Relationships are hard work. They're difficult work, but they're good work. And I, had a, I heard a pastor say one time, talking about other people, other relationships, he said, don't compare a friend's highlight reel with your behind the scenes. Don't compare a friend's highlight reel with your behind the scenes, because all that we see about most people in our life is what they want us to see. And they're going to make it clean because that's our culture. I'm put together. Everything is great. And then we look at our own life, our own homes, everything going on, our own hearts, and we think, how can I even connect with anyone? <laughs> and yet yeah, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. And, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. It steals joy. And when we compare our relationships or anything in our life towards other people, joy will always go down. So those are a few just caveats, several caveats before we get in, into this and try and practice these things. If, if you want to simplify your relationships, here, here are three things which I think are non-negotiable, though there are more. And the first one is, is this. Uh, n- number one is humility humility. This is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5 here, 13 and 14. We read it earlier, but here's what he says. Again, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. It means to make much of yourself. Rather, serve other people humbly in love. That humility is the foundation for the life of a follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a prideful Christian, though we often are prideful. But you know how these two things actually work against each other. Humility, humility, humility. And Here's the big idea for this point and maybe for the message. Relationships thrive when my ego dies. Relationships thrive when my ego dies. How many of your relationships are going really, really well because your ego is through the roof? <laughs> right? N- none of them. How many of your relationships are suffering mightily because your ego is so low? No. Oftentimes when our ego gets inflated, when our flesh gets inflated, our relationships begin to just deteriorate around us because everything becomes then about us. Look, (sighs) there is nothing more relaxing than humility. There is nothing more than just to be humble and to not connect every single conversation or moment or person with you. That adds a lot of anxiety and stress. But just to relax is actually to be humble. And C.S. Lewis talks about how you can know a really humble person because when you meet them because all they're concerned about is you. All they care about is you. Not about themselves, not about name dropping anyone, not about any of that, just you. And when you leave the conversation, you think I didn't share anything about my, they didn't share anything about themselves but I feel like they know me. That's a humble person. He goes on, the end of his chapter on pride and mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says that um, to be humble, um, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Now, what's the difference? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not saying I am awful, I am terrible, people walk over me, I am just weak, and just. uh, so now I'm humble because I'm not prideful. No, that's just self-loathing, and that's not helpful. But humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Thinking of just who you are in every single moment less. Thinking of other people more, so that you're free to serve them and love them. The relationships in our life would be so well served by us really practicing humility. Checking our pride. I know mine would. I know mine would. That's what Paul's talking about here. Humility, humility, humility. Number one, relationships thrive when my ego dies. Secondly, honesty honesty. Ephesians 4.15 is a is a pretty famous verse, but Paul's talking here about speaking the truth in love. You may, you may know this verse. Paul says, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Paul here's talking about uh, kind of uh, deceitfulness in teaching doctrine, and he's saying, I want you to know the truth, and I want you to share the truth, but I want you to do it in love. You have to speak honestly to people, speak truthfully to people, but you have to do do it in love. Healthy relationships are marked by truth and honesty. Because when you begin to lie or begin to hide, that's when, that's when mistrust just grows and grows and grows. And so you have to be honest about yourself, who you are. You have to be able to be honest with other people in your life. And you have to be able to receive honest feedback from other people. Honesty, honesty, honesty. Now, this one is also very difficult because it's, it's, we just are afraid of being honest. We can get fearful of being honest, but it, ha- it has to happen. I remember I've used this example before, but it just keeps coming back to me. When Emily and I were first married, I told her, I want you to give me feedback. <sighs> <laughs> <clears throat> right? I'm going to be this mature person, and I, you know, I just want you, you know, everything is a growth point, so I can't wait to just hear how I can grow. And, you know, it's one thing to say it, and then it's like someone does it, and you're like, that's actually not how I thought it was going to go. And so she would then, you know, to my surprise, bring things to me and be like, hey, this, like, this reaction I had or this thing totally happened, and like, what, what's going on there, R.D.? And I would just get so angry, and I would just snap at her, like, you don't understand. That's why I did that. Why, why, why don't you get it? And she'd be like, I thought you wanted me to be like, I do want you to share with me. And then I would just be like, and, I would get, and then I would feel guilty about how I reacted, and I would feel bad on top of just how I reacted poorly. And so that would happen, right, again and again. And finally, she just quit shutting down from like talking to me. She's like, You can't handle any feedback at all. Like, you say you want it, but then I give it to you, and you don't actually ever receive it. Why? Because my self worth was built on being a good husband. And if anything came into my life that said I maybe wasn't as good as I thought, I was just crushed. Because all my identity was built on me being good. And I kept, every time she would say something, I would realize I'm actually not as good as I thought. And then i feel guilty about how not good I am. I wasn't building my identity on Jesus. I was building it on being a good person. And when you build your identity on being a good person, you can't receive honest feedback. Because the feedback you really need is going to be critical. As in not positive. <laughs> and that makes it critical. But it's hard. And if you, it, that's, why, that's why the gospel frees us to be honest about our own hearts because then we can be honest people and say, babe, I don't have it all together, so tell me, because I don't. part of me doesn't wanna grow, but deep down I do. And now we've grown to that place where I still sometimes have that tense moment, but it releases much more quickly, and that's God's grace. That's all God's grace is growth in my life. It's not me trying hard, it's his grace. People that have healthy relationships can hear honesty, can hear truth, and they can also gently give truth out because they're not self-righteous. And they know it's also in their own hearts and not just, you need to fix this. But I know that be, besides the grace of God, I'd be right there too. Healthy relationships, simplifying your relationships are marked by honesty, real honesty. And that saves us from having to hide or pretend. Last one, like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. The last one though that's essential is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32, Paul unpacks this here. He, he says to the Ephesians, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. He doesn't say forgiving each other because they deserve it or forgiving each other when they ask for it. He says, forgiving each other, what's the reason? Because God in Christ forgave you. Now, here's another one that sounds really wonderful for Christians to talk about. If you're a Christian here and you're thinking, forgiveness, yes, that is the mantra. And then it's all well and good until someone hurts you and you have to forgive them. And then it gets really hard, which is why we need the Holy Spirit helping us. Forgiveness, though, is essential because the people you're in relationships with are all broken and messy. And so they're going to hurt you. And so we have to be willing to give out forgiveness freely and also to to just go to people and ask for forgiveness, to keep short accounts, because otherwise we'll just grow bitter and angry and just self-absorbed. I can use an example of myself um, as usual. This happened four times this week. It's like the Lord knew I was teaching. I just need to teach less because it, just those weeks are just like examples in my life. And four times, four times, I kid you not, four times this week, I had to ask for forgiveness for people. I thought after two, I was like, Lord, I get it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This is, okay, thank you. And then three and then four came. And so at, at, the example is this, and it's a working example, so it's different than maybe some, but, but people that you work with, you see all the time. And sometimes you need a lot of forgiveness because they can even be on different places spiritually. And we, as Christians, if you're a Christian, then we, we want to be practicing forgiveness. And so at worked this week, um, we were in a meeting and, and someone came and said to me about something that I did or really something I hadn't done and said, hey, RG, when, when this happened, uh, you really kind of hurt this person. And this person wasn't in the meeting, uh, but this other person was, and was like, hey, we had this meeting, and then things kind of just happened, and you never, you didn't really do this thing that you said you were gonna do, and it really hurt this other person. And they felt like you kind of just let them down and didn't have their back, and they were really hurt by that. And you know, there was that second, probably longer than that, that second in me where I was like, oh, really, really? <laughs> Well, wonderful. Please keep going. I've got a few things as well that I want to... I see a massive log in your eye that I'm ready to just totally... And if you're not laughing, then you should. Because it's all of us. All right? we all do. There's just that gnat, like, it wasn't like, oh, what a great growth area. Let me write these things down. Thank you for sharing this with me, like, that's a place I want to get to, but that's probably what heaven is for, where you just can't, like, (laughs) and so she's sharing this, and, but, you know, before, years ago, I totally would have blown up, not heard it, and so there was a few seconds where I was just like, you know, I'm getting, you can feel yourself getting defensive, and when you start to get defensive, you know, you've built your identity on yourself and not on Jesus, because otherwise, you would just, you wouldn't, and so I'm getting defensive, and I'm just kind of sitting in my chair, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, fine, you know, I'm pretending like everything is fine, and then, and then just, I just prayed, and prayer is so essential to reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. And I just said, Lord, let me hear, let me hear, let me not be stubborn, let me grow. And she kept going on, and it, I'm not gonna lie to you, it stung, but I went to the person, and I called them in my office, and I just apologized. I said, hey, I heard that my lack of action, this thing that I did, I heard that it really hurts you, and I just wanna own that, I could give you some reasons why, but none of them really mattered because I dropped the ball, I left you out to dry, I just want to own that and apologize for that. And I want you to just have an open door to my office. If I let you down or if I just totally missed the boat, on anything small or big, then just let, me, just let me know. Would you forgive me? And she did. And where there was separation that I didn't even know about, there was then healing. Because what forgiveness does is it, is, it, is it brings people back together again. It brings people back together again. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to go out. I didn't have to do that. We would have been fine that's not being a good leader. It's just to pretend everything is okay. And I had to humble myself. I had to be honest and I had to say, would you forgive me? And then it happened multiple other times in the week, but it was just a good reminder that I've been so forgiven by Christ that I can forgive other people and I can go seek forgiveness because I'm not building my relationships to myself on me being perfect. And so I have this freedom. I just have freedom to just hear people, because everything God is doing in my life is to make me more like his son. That's what he's doing. And healthy relationships have these things. Humility, honesty, forgiveness... Now, you may be saying, these all sound well and good. Humility, honesty, forgiveness. I don't think anyone is here. It's probably like, what new concepts? These are <laughs> un... I have... Ne- humility, is that a new word? Like, wh- how do you even... Where is that even coming from? Like, no one in here is probably like, okay, t- humility, never thought of that. Honesty, that's a new one. Forgiveness, that would be good to start doing. But... <laughs> I'm not here just to be clever or new. I'm here sometimes to remind us that we don't always need new information. We need to practice what we already know. But we need a power to do it. It would be easy for me to just say, so go be humble, go be honest, go forgive people, see ya. But it wouldn't last past those doors because it'd be in your own power. And so the last point is talking about how can we do this? How can we, like, how can we people that are really humble, that are really honest, and that forgive like crazy. And that's the final point. The power to simplify relationships. And here it is. The power to simplify relationships comes only from the gospel. It comes only from the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, receiving his love. Because if relationships thrive, when my ego dies, and the way that your ego dies is through the gospel. It's through realizing that you could not do anything to make God love you. He just loved you. And so you don't have to puff yourself up anymore. You can be humble and confident at the same time. The power to simplify your relationships comes only from the gospel. And the key, the key to simplify anything in your life is to glorify. The key to simplify anything in your life is to glorify. If you want to simplify your human relationships, you need to glorify your heavenly relationship. You need to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul puts it this way. He says, basically, whatever you do, so whether you eat or drink, um, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever it is that you're doing in your life, if we're talking about relationships or finances or parenting or our possessions or our, I mean, you just, you name the issue in your life. Paul says, whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God. Because the the, the tagline of the series is simplify, putting first things first. And the, the thing to put first is the glory of God, to live for him, to love him, to serve him, to obey him. That if we do that, then everything else will flow out secondarily. You will never get to God if you just begin simplifying horizontally. You will not get there. But if you begin saying, if my life is about glorifying God, if I'm made for him, and if I really am doing that because the gospel has so changed me, then there will be the simplifying of all these areas of my life. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, "Um, the woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses. In the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job but his palate and all the power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. What is he saying? If you just—it's an example—but if you put a dog in the center of your life and say I am just going to love it and just I'm just going everything is going to be about it—you actually are just going to make that dog. It'll crush you because you've made it your everything. But even in the example, it's silly, but if you were to make God your everything, you could love that dog like never before. And just multiply that example with people. If you make people the center of your life and say, I just wanna work really hard at X, Y, or Z, you will always be on this treadmill of performance. You will be enslaved to their expectations, but if, if you glorify God, if you live for him, you will see things in your life begin to simplify. You will. You've got to put first things first. Here's an idea. You will never love the people in your life more than when you love God the most. You will never love the people in your life more than when you love God the most. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5.1. He talks about the freedom we have to love people and be in relationships like never before. This is verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by the yoke of slavery. Paul says, you've been set free from other people's expectations, from having to please them, so that in your relationships you can serve and not have to be served. You can love and not have to receive love because you already received it from the Lord. And when you're glorifying him and living for him, you don't need any anything from other people. And get this, when you live from the approval of God, you don't have to live for the approval of man. When you live from God's approval, his approval in your life, you don't have to live for the approval of anyone else in your life, and then you're free. That's what freedom is. Because so many of our problems are because we look at other people and we just want to please them. Either we get very prideful or we get very fearful. But both of those are because we're self-centered. And when you understand that God has approved you by sheer grace, only by grace, when you understand that God hasn't approved you because you earned it or because you were good enough, when you understand that his approval has, His acceptance has only come because of Jesus Christ, then you actually have this grace in your life to not look down on other people because you didn't earn anything. And you just have this ability to just be humble like never before. So how does the gospel actually make you humble? How does it give you the power to be humble? Because we no longer have to make everything about us. The gospel says two things for us. If we're very prideful, which from time to time all of us can be, the gospel is going to cut us down. And it says you were so, I, we were just so in the wrong that Jesus had to die for me. And so it's going to cut us down from thinking that we climbed the mountain of salvation because God had to come down the mountain for us. And that's going to just bring us down. But if that's all you hear in the gospel, you're just going to be fearful. You're going to be just very timid and afraid because you're thinking God had to die for me. I was so bad and so wicked. If that's only what you hear, you'll not be humble. You'll be fearful. But if the truth of the gospel is not only that Jesus had to die for me, but that he was glad to die for me, well, that then makes me confident and secure. Because then I know that I couldn't actually earn God's love, but that he wanted to give me his love like never before. And so now I can be humble. Because I'm not going to be self-promoting, and I'm not going to be self-loathing. Because the gospel both cuts me down, but then it brings me back up. And so now I can be humble. I don't have to have all these relationships about me. I'm actually free. Because it doesn't matter what other people say about me. I have everything I truly need in what Jesus says about me. And he says I'm his. I'm his. I'm free. I'm no longer under the yoke of slavery, of having to be prideful for, having to be fearful. The question now becomes, what can I give in my relationships, not what can I get? What can I give, not what can I get? Secondly, how does the gospel make us free to be honest? Because we're no longer, we no longer have to be slaves to pretending, to hiding in the lying. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could just be really honest? I know at church sometimes, that's like the last place where we're honest. Let's be honest where everyone just says, I, I, I mean, I'm going to confess this one little thing, but I've really, my whole life is a wreck. And I just want to say the whole point, if you're actually a part of a church, is that you're admitting, I don't have my life together. And I need Jesus to put my life together. I need other people to help me, remind me in my life, and challenge me, and encourage me, right? Because we just naturally, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to hide from God. We want to pretend. We, we want to lie, right? I don't want people always to bring things to me. I just want to pretend, well, this is why, or this is why that happened. And the gospel, it just brings us out of hiding and. A allows us to be honest. And honesty is the fuel for intimacy in relationships. It is the power for us to be intimate with people. When I can finally say, R.D., sinner though I am, I can hear your criticism because I know my heart's much worse than even you think it is. But I'm also a sinner saved by grace. And so everything that people are telling me in my life, whether it's true or not, God is using it in my life to shape me and to mold me. And their opinion of me doesn't, doesn't destroy me. When, when, when the person came to me and said, you really hurt this person? Yeah, it stung, but it didn't crush me. Because I knew God is using this to grow me. And I'm still his. And so I could be honest about that. And I can give honest feedback gently. Finally, how does the gospel make us free to forgive? Because we no longer have to have scoreboards in our hearts towards other people. It's so easy. I do it. We all do. We have scoreboards in our marriages, in our friendships, with our parents, with our kids, um, where we say, okay, the score's this. Uh, you've got many more runs on me, and so like, it's, you've got to do a lot of work to, uh, to equalize this thing. There's a great quote that says, to forgive a person is to set them free and to find out that that person was actually me. Our right, forgiveness unlocks this great freedom in your life. It doesn't mean that we just forget everything. It doesn't mean that we let people walk all over us and tolerate all kinds of behavior. That's not what it means to forgive. It doesn't mean you just say, fine, just keep running over me. No problem at all. That's not what it means. But it does mean is that we will grow bitter and angry if we look at our relationships and just say, how can I punish you? How can I get you back? How can I make things even? Because that's not what Jesus did. And it's not even about what they deserve. It's about what God has done for us. He has so forgiven us. He he says, Will you be, trust me, and forgive others because of the forgiveness I've given to you? Relationships thrive when my ego dies. And the way your ego is really going to die is through the gospel through looking into the heart of it and saying, Jesus had to die for me, and he was glad to die for me. And when that comes in the center of your life, when you are living for the glory of God alone, for his fame, for for just who he is, you're living by the power of the Spirit, and you're putting to death the flesh, you're putting to death yourself, and you're looking at all the relationships in your life, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your barista, um, your dentist, right? Your kid, your parent, all the relationships in your life, you're looking at them and saying, does God want to use me to be a blessing? How does God want to use me to serve? And only the gospel is going to make us humble like never before. Only the gospel is going to make us more honest. Only the gospel is going to give us the power to forgive. If we want to simplify, we glorify. And if we glorify God, things won't always be easy, but we we will just step right into the mess of relationships and we'll stay there. And remember, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Let me pray for you. Father, um, what, uh, what a huge topic that we even just scratched the surface of. So, so many things. Father, I pray for everyone here, for myself. We all have people that we've hurt. We all have people in our life that have, that have hurt us. Father, the only way that we can actually have relationships that are healthy is when your love comes into the center of our life. And so I pray for everyone here, whether they're a Christian or not, that we might have relationships that simplify, that are healthy, that are flourishing, because the good news of Jesus is at the center of our life. And now we can be honest and humble and forgive like never before. And where there's a mess, we don't run away. We don't try and fix it. We just say, I want to enter into the mess and be there. No matter what may happen. Because that's what your son did for us. Would our relationship with him be a model for our relationship with others? And would you give us grace to apply it? Thank you for seeing the worst in us and choosing to stay. In the name of Jesus Christ, our ruling, reigning, and returning Savior, and all God's people sin, amen.